The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Spewed out on the dry land from the belly of the great fish, Jonah wasn't pretty, but he was ready. Uh, I don't know what he looked like, but I don't think he looked very good. How about you? Spat, had to spend uh, three days and three nights in, in the belly of a great fish, a whale. Uh, he's there, and uh, I don't think he looked very good. How about you? Uh, having been vomited out on the dry land. I don't know if anybody was there to uh, see Jonah uh, being spat up on that dry land. Would you, would you just like to be a fly in the wall and, and, and that and just be able to watch that? Uh, you say, no, I wouldn't want to see that. I would want to see that. I, I thought that would be kind of interesting uh, to see. Uh, and all of a sudden, I mean, could you imagine being on the seashore and uh, there you are uh, there enjoying the, uh, the seashore there and all of a sudden this man gets uh, spat up onto the dry land out of uh, the belly of a whale and, and uh, surely uh, if nobody else was around... Uh, it doesn't really matter. We don't really know. Uh, but what we can be sure of is that God was around. We can be sure that God was there. And that we can be sure that, uh, that God was right there to uh, speak to Jonah after he had come up uh, out of uh, the whale. And uh, tonight, I just want to give you just four thoughts from these two verses. And uh, if you want to take notes, it's fine. If you want to just listen, that's fine. But when it comes to uh, the book of Jonah, you know who's constant? The constant is God. He is the constant. He is the constant one. and He, uh, he never changes. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is constant. He was constant in the life of Jonah. And can I say to you tonight, he's constant in your life. You know, without God in the story of Jonah, there wouldn't be much to write about. If you take God out of the book of Jonah, there wouldn't be, wouldn't be a tale to tell. There wouldn't be a story that would be worth repeating. Spurgeon said this, he said, the life of Jonah cannot be written without God. Take God out of the prophet's history and there is no history to write. And the truth of the matter is, is if you take God out of the Word of God, there's nothing to write about. There's, not, there's nothing to tell. There's no uh, story that's worth repeating. But God is the constant one. He's the constant one throughout the lives of those that we see in Scripture. And can I remind you tonight that He is and will continue to be constant in your life. Uh, we need constancy. We need that, uh, that steadiness uh, of the hand of God in our lives. He's the rock. He's unmovable uh, that we have planted our feet upon. And, and we don't know where the great fish deposited Jonah, but we do know that wherever Jonah was, God was there, that he was there with him. And, and God's more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. He's more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. Uh, if the workers are what they ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. If the workers are what they ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. You know, sometimes we, we so much focus on what we do, and uh, really what we should focus on is God. Because it's not about what we do, it's about what God is doing, what God wants to, uh, to be done. And yes, He does use us, but the truth of the matter is, is tonight, if you and I are what we are supposed to be, then our work will be what it should be. If we are what we, you know, isn't that the failure in our work? We struggle sometimes when we do what we, uh, sh- we don't do what we should do and we do what we shouldn't do. The problem is not uh, with the work. The problem is with the worker. 
The problem is with us. It's with our heart is that we're not what we should be. And we ought to focus on that. Sometimes when it comes to the will of God and what we think God wants, we focus so much on the details of where we're going to go and what we're going to do and how we're going to get it done. And, and God says, how about you just focus on me and let me make you what I want you to be? God wants us to focus on him. Uh, he wants to make us uh, in his, uh, he made us in his image and likeness, but he wants us to follow in his steps. And You know, throughout Jonah's time of rebellion, God was displeased with Jonah, but he never once deserted him, did he? He never once deserted him. He was displeased with him, but he never deserted him. He never left him alone. Even when he was down in the belly of the whale, God was there. There was not a place that Jonah could go that God was not. Uh, He found out about that when he tried to run from God. And how many of us You know, sometimes God wants us to do something. We try to pretend like he didn't say or we didn't hear or we go the opposite direction. You know, God, God is everywhere. You can't run from God. You can't get, you can't get away from him. Why would you want to? It was God who controlled the storm. Come on, think about it. When he got on the ship, God was in control of that storm. It was God who prepared the great fish. God was with him. He was the constant one. It was God that rescued Jonah from the deep. God was in all the works uh, there. And God is the constant in Jonah's story, and he is the constant in our story. You know, we need to look to God uh, tonight instead of looking to ourselves. A lot of times we look to ourselves so much, we think, look what we've done, look what we've done. We need to look to God. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. What does he want to do through us? He wants, listen, if we'll be who we should be, we'll get done what we should get done. And uh, he is the constant one. Not only do we see the constant in God, but we also see the conversation, the conversation. Notice this, the Bible says in chapter 3 and verse number 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. God spoke to Jonah. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but if Jonah had done what he did to God, to me, or to you, I, I doubt we would be on speaking terms. I doubt we would want to quickly go back to have a conversation once again. And uh, by the way, uh, we're not deserving of hearing God's voice, but isn't it God's mercy? Isn't it God's mercy uh, that he would speak to us, that he would acknowledge us, that he would regard us, that he would, would, would say what he wants to say uh, to us? And, you know, it, it would be fair to say if, if he had done that to us, we wouldn't be on speaking terms. But, you know, when we disobey God, it's not that God stops speaking, it's that we don't hear him. It's that we don't hear him. We put ourselves in a position where we don't hear him. And also, how about this? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear me. We put ourselves in a position where we're not on speaking terms with God. As a matter of fact, Jonah didn't want to talk to God. Jonah didn't want to hear from God. If you notice, Jonah tried to go the opposite direction, go the lowest he could go, hide where he could uh, find a place to hide. He didn't want to hear God's voice. He, He didn't want to speak to God. Come on, sometimes, Christians, we find ourselves in similar positions because we're running from God. We're in rebellion to God, and so we don't want to hear the voice of God. That's why we don't open up the Word of God. Come on, if I don't open up the Word of God, what am I telling God? I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear from you. What a sad state that is for a Christian that doesn't want to open up God's word. How do we hear God's voice from his word? Is that not the truth tonight? We hear his voice in his word. And and that's why God tells us to study his word. That's why God tells us to be diligent in his word. And and that's why God tells us to read his word and to love his word. And boy, we need to hear his voice, don't we? 
That's why we gather together to hear the preaching of God's word. We don't want to hear, you don't want to hear my message tonight. I want to hear a voice, the voice of God. I want to hear the word of God tonight. What does God have to say uh, in his word? What does God want? But boy, it's sad when we get to the place where we don't want to hear him. Come on. Uh, have you ever been to uh, the point, mom or dad, who where you were annoyed by the very voice of your children? Come on. Aren't you glad that God's not that way with us? He doesn't get annoyed with our voice. How about, you know, sometimes they just keep asking. They just keep asking. They just keep asking. They just keep asking. You don't do that to God, right? You don't just keep asking and keep asking and and keep asking. As a matter of fact, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to come to him. You know, so, so much, so much uh, we find ourselves, we, you know, we, get, we can get somewhat annoyed sometimes with the people's voices. You know, if you're not careful, you get annoyed with the voice of God. Jonah didn't want to hear God's voice because he knew what God was going to say, didn't he? He didn't like what God did say. Listen, if you ever get to the point to where you hear the voice of God from his word and you don't like what he says, you know what needs to change you. You know who needs to change? I do. We need to change. When we get to the point to where we don't want to hear God's voice, we're not going to change his word. We can't quiet it. We can't close it. We can't undo it, but we must embrace it. It's God's word, and it's good for us. I said, uh, children, hearing the voice of your ch- children, sometimes parents, but how about this? Uh, children, have you ever gotten annoyed at hearing the voice of your parents? You know, uh, the Bible says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's sad sometimes that children uh, don't want to hear the voice of their parents, the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom, the voice of counsel, the voice of authority uh, in their life that God's placed in their life. It's a sad position when we don't want to hear those voices. It's, it's sad when we don't want to hear those voices because those voices are the ones that protect us that direct us, that help us, that keep us safe. But sometimes we run, we want to get away from those things. It's a sad position to be in. But yet God began to have a conversation once again with Jonah. Jonah had repented of what he had done. He had prayed. He had had asked God to forgive him. And God had put him back on the land and back on the direction. And then the Bible just simply kind of just picks up where it left off in, in, in chapter number one. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Chapter 1, verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Chapter 3, and verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Second chances. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God would just say, okay, we've deleted all the stuff that happened in the middle. Let's pick up where we left off. Let's pick up in our relationship. Let's pick up in our conversation. Let's pick up in the commission that I've given you. Let's pick up where we left off. That's what God wants to do with you tonight, by the way. If you, if you sinned against God, you got right with God, you repented that sin, and you're back on track. You know what God wants to do? He says, okay, that's done. That's over with. Aren't you glad he, he, he remembers our sin no more? We talked about that this morning. He remembers them no more. What does he say? Time to get back to work. Time to get back to Uh, what I want you to do. And one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian life and the Christian faith is the element of renewal. The Bible says that the inner man is renewed what? Day by day. When we fall, the enemy wants us to believe that our ministry is ended. When we fail, uh, uh, our enemy wants us to believe that there's no hope for recovery. But our God is the God of the second chance, isn't he? You know what he whispers in, in those, the ears of those that have fallen? You're no good anymore. 
You can't be used anymore. Don't even, go bo- don't even bother to go back to God. Don't bother to go back to the church. Don't, go, don't bother to get back into His Word because you're disqualified. You can't be used anymore. Aren't you glad that it's not our qualifications that get God's work done? It's God that does His work and He uses us. And boy, when we get right with God, you know, God says, okay, it's time to pick up where we left off again. I'm glad that God does that. I'm glad that He uh, is kind and gracious to us. You know, it's, it's a sad thing when we, when we listen to those lies, when we, when we disobey. But when we get right with the Lord, we put ourselves back in the position of once again being able to hear God speak to us through His Word. We, not only, uh, see, we don't see, just see the constant in God, the conversation God had with Jonah, but also the calling, the calling. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says the word of the uh, Lord came unto Jonah, the what? The second time. Not the first time that God called Jonah. This is the second time God called Jonah. Boy, does this reinforce that what God tells us that the callings of God are without repentance. That when God wants something done and he gives us a directive and we get right with him and he puts us back on course and begins to speak to us and we begin to speak to him, what does he say? Okay, uh, I've not changed my plan. I've not changed my will. I've not changed my nature and whom I am. I'm the same. I'm constant. My will is the same. What I want you to do is the same. And sometimes I think when we get right with God, we want God to change what he wanted us to do in the first place. God says, no, no, I haven't changed. My will hasn't changed. My work hasn't changed. And your calling has not changed. Your calling has not changed. Notice the calling. He says a second time, what does he tell him to do? And in chapter 3 and verse number 2, he says, arise, go unto Nineveh. Arise, go unto Nineveh. In chapter 1 and verse number 2, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Arise, go to Nineveh. So he told him in chapter 3 to do the same thing he told him to do in chapter number 1. He just said, okay, remember what we, how we started last time, let's not do that again. Let's do what we said this time. If you've truly repented of something, by the way, you're not going to go back and, and do that all over again. We see Jonah's got a change of heart, doesn't he? He's got a change of, of mind. He, he here is, is uh, hearing the voice of God, and, and he's wanting to do what God says. You know, uh, you don't have to read very far in your Bible to discover that God forgives his servants and restores them. I mean, think about in the Bible, Abraham. Abraham fled to Egypt. He lied about his wife, but God gave him another chance, didn't he? Abraham took, uh, didn't have faith, and he took Hagar to be his wife. He didn't trust God, but God gave him another chance, didn't he? God is, is good. He restores. Jacob lied to his father Isaac, but God restored him and used him to build a nation of Israel. Uh, Moses killed a man, fled from Egypt. When God called him, he argued with God about his qualifications, about his abilities, about his influence, about whether he could do what God wanted him to do. He waffled, he waned, and God said, listen, this is what I want you to do. You, you need to get back to doing what I've called you to do. Peter denied the Lord three times, and Jesus forgave him, didn't he? Come on, think about it. You don't have to read much of Scripture to know that God restores people. That God brings people, when they fall, He brings them back. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that we, uh, we have somewhat of a, a, a sinless perfection meter when it comes to other people. In other words, we expect pe- other people to be sinlessly perfect, and, and we don't even have that expectation of ourselves. As a matter of fact, we know that we're not sinlessly perfect. 
We know that we failed and we made mistakes. And by the way, can I, can I ask you tonight, uh, just because you know about someone else's sin and they don't know about yours, does that make them less qualified than you? They don't know about your sin. Oh, so you've done a better job hiding your sin, so that makes you more qualified. As a matter of fact, I would think that would make you less qualified. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how sometimes we can be so much more judgmental of other people's sin than we are of ourselves. Does not judgment begin with us? We're to judge ourselves. We're supposed to, we're supposed to look to our own hearts and judge ourselves. A lot of times we find ourselves judging so, uh, so heavily the, the sins and transgressions of others and we ignore our own. And boy, that's deceiving yourself, isn't it? And uh, here's uh, the, the man of God for the second chance. Second chances, however, are no excuse for sin or disobedience. We don't look and say, well, God's going to forgive me. God's going to forgive me. The Bible says in, in 1 John 1, 9, to the Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the Bible also warns us not to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. God's grace is not license to sin. God's grace is not liberty to do as we want. God's grace is a supernaturally enabling to do his will. That is God's grace. In other words, apart from God's grace, we cannot do God's will. We need God's grace, don't we? And by the way, His grace is sufficient, isn't it? It is sufficient for us to do what He's called us to do because grace is the supernatural enabling to do the will of God. And we cannot do God's will apart from God's grace. And God's grace is abundant, is it not? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God's grace is abundant. God's, God's grace is endless. God's grace never fails. God's grace is a gift, isn't it? It's a gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we know, hey, we're saved by grace through faith, the Bible tells us. It's God's grace. Second chances are no excuse for sin or disobedience. We don't use God's mercy and grace as license or advantage to sin. We are thankful for God's grace. And we are supernatural and able, and able to do His will. We see the constant in God. We see the conversation God had with, with Jonah. We see the calling. A second time, arise, go unto Nineveh. And then lastly tonight, we see the challenge. The challenge. This is an interesting uh, thing when you get down to what actually God is calling Jonah to do. Uh, let's get away for a moment tonight our flannel graph view of the story. And let's go to real life. Because sometimes we have that Sunday school flannel graph view of Scripture rather than the real reality of all these things. Uh, what did God call Nineveh? In chapter 1, verse number 1, and chapter 3, and verse number 2 and 3, in chapter uh, 4, and verse number 11, in chapter uh, 3 here he says, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that what? Great city. Great city. Listen. This was a challenge. This was a challenge. And isn't it a challenge when we finally do acknowledge that what God is calling us to do is greater than us? What God is calling us to do is greater than us. You know, a lot of times uh, we, we like to be called on... How many like to be called on when you don't know the answer? Are you with me tonight? When you don't know the answer, you kind of shift 
Hopefully someone's in front of you, you can kind of slide behind them. The teacher doesn't really see you, doesn't look at you. You can pretend nod, you're nodding in sleep. You can pretend you're not paying attention, you're picking something up or writing study notes. You know, whatever it is. You know, sometimes we don't want to be called on when we don't know the answer. But when we know the answer, it's all different, isn't it? When we know the answer, it's like, I'm right here. You know, pick me, pick me, raise our hand, you know, you know the answer. To, you know, and, and uh, we, we, uh, when we know the answer, we want to be acknowledged. When we can do it, we want to be acknowledged. Listen, when we're called to something that we're able to do, it's like everybody look, right? Everybody look, look what I'm doing. I'm so good at this. I'm so, I'm so great at this. I'm, I'm able to do this. I mean, look, I'm able to do this. I'm able to do this. If you're not careful, what you're doing is more about you than it is about God. Sometimes in ministry, it can become that way. It can become more about us than it is about God. Isn't that a sad thing? That's a sad thing. I'm speaking to myself just as I'm speaking to you. I'm serving God today. You're serving God today. Uh, but it's not about me. It's about God. But I know that God's word is greater than I am. God's will is greater than I am. God, this work that God's called me to do is greater than me. I'm not able to accomplish this. It's a great work. It's a challenge, is it not? Boy, it's challenging God's calling. And boy, uh, Jonah, listen, he was a successful prophet. He had prophesied to Israel before, and what he prophesied came to pass. He became famous. Everybody heard his prophecy, and in his day, they actually saw what he said come to pass. But now, he was being given a challenge of doing something that he didn't think was going to happen. Go to Nineveh. And cry against it. Preach against it. Boy, that's what we love to do, right? Go to a place and preach against it. Preach against what they're doing. Preach against their lifestyle. Preach against their pagan religions. Preach against their behaviors. Oh, we're going to be popular when we do that, right? Oh, we, we, we're, sign me up for that job. I mean, I'd love to do that job. No. It was a challenge. It was a test of, will you understand that my calling, my calling is greater than you. It's greater than your ability. It's greater than what you can do. Four times in this book, Nineveh is called a great city. A great city. Archaeologists tell us that the adjective is is well-deserved. It was great in history. You know, having uh, been found in ancient times by Noah's great-grandson Nimrod in Genesis chapter number uh, 10, verse number 8, it was not only great in history, but it was great in size. Think about this. The circumference of the city and its suburbs was 60 miles. 60 miles in circumference, the city was a great city. And from the Lord's statement in Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 11, we really could come away with it. There were probably over six. 100,000 people living there. Now you're just one person. How are you going to go preach against 600,000 people? I mean, go to that city. Talk about overwhelmed with God's calling, overwhelmed with the greatness of it. So not always great in history, but it's great in size. One wall of the city had a circumference of eight miles and boasted 1,500 towers. That's one wall of the city of Nineveh. The city was not only great in history and great in size, but it was great in splendor and influence. It was one of the leading cities of the powerful Assyrian army. It was built near the Tigris River. 
And it had the uh, coastal river that ran through it. The merchants uh, traveled uh, the empire and brought great wealth into the city. And the Assyrian armies were feared everywhere. And so it was great in history and it was great in size, but it was great in splendor. It was great in influence in that day. Not only was great in all those things, but Nineveh was great in sin. It was great in sin. Think about this. According to historians, the Assyrians were known far and wide for their violence. They were known for showing no mercy to their enemies. They impaled live victims on sharp poles, leaving them to roast to death in the desert sun. Let's go soul winning, right? No, they don't want to go there, right? We have a hard enough time going to the cul-de-sac. You know, uh, uh, they're calling us uh, there, and they beheaded people by the thousands. They stacked their skulls up in piles by the city gates. Welcome. That's not a a welcome mat. Come on in. They skinned people alive. They they respected neither age uh, nor sex, and they followed a policy of killing babies and young children so they wouldn't have to care for them. So the book of Nahum tells us in chapter number 3. So these were not friendly people. This was a, a great city that was great in history. It was great in size. It was great in splendor and, and great in influence. And it was great in sin. It was to the wicked people of this great city that God sent his servant Jonah, assuring him that he would give him a message to speak. Here's the thing. Jonah hadn't even gotten the message yet. God didn't tell him what to say yet. God, what am I supposed to say? You'll find out when you get there. Well, that stinks for sermon preparation. You know, I'll tell you when you get there. I'll tell you what I want you to say. Notice what he says in chapter 3 and verse number 2. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and what? Preach unto it the what? The preaching that I bid thee. He said, I've got a message for you. What is it? I'll tell you later. Just go. Just do what I want you to do. Just be who I want you to be. See, the first two chapters was about God making Jonah who he wanted him to be. And then once he was who he was supposed to be, God said, okay, now go. Go. I've got a message for you. After making all the preparations Think about this. Again, we're away from the flannel graph. It would have taken Jonah at least a month to travel from his own land to the city of Nineveh. And during that trip, he had a lot of time available to to meditate on what the Lord had taught him. To think about what God had taught him. The, The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you and the power of God cannot use you. Think about that tonight. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you and the power of God cannot use you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 16, the question is asked, and who is sufficient for these things? And who is able for these great things? Come on, life has no challenges for us, does it? We're challenged every day. Can I, can I submit to you tonight that it is a challenge to live the Christian life in the culture that we live in? That it is a challenge to, to, to be what God says we should be? That we are constantly being challenged? Now, listen, I, what's sad is that some are telling us that the challenge is greater today than it ever was. But we live in America. We live in America. I mean, let's be realistic. 
As much as we complain, listen, we have the right to complain, don't we? As much as we complain, we have the the right to complain. You know, in other places, if you complained about the government, they'd lock you up. You'd be arrested. You'd be killed. We complain all the time. We have the right to complain. We don't even think that's a privilege anymore. We just think that's what we do. You know, we, we complain. We're not in the atmosphere even that Jonah was in. We're not in the atmosphere that the early church was in. I mean, think about it. In the early church, if you went out and preached the gospel, what happened to Peter? They locked him up. And then when they let him go after they beat him, they said, don't go preach the gospel again. And Peter said, okay, and he went out and preached the gospel again. Paul did the same thing. They locked him up, they locked him up, they locked him up, they beat him, they beat him, they beat him. Every time, don't preach the gospel, don't preach the gospel, don't preach the gospel, he went out and preached the gospel. And then what's the state of the church today? Please, please, would you come out on Saturday morning and pass out gospel tracts? You with me? And we're saying, we're saying the, the problem, the opposition is great. The opposition for us is not greater. The greatest opposition to doing the will of God tonight is us. It's us. It's our lack of obedience to God that we just won't do what God says we should do. How are we any better? How are we any better than the prophet Jonah? God says, this is what I want you to do, and we make excuses why we can't. I don't have time, I don't have energy, I don't have, you see, you see, you see. And you're making excuses why you can't do, why God left you here to be. We make excuses. Be salt and light, the salt is lost, is savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How long is the church of God going to give that command to someone else? How long is the church of the living God going to ignore that command that we think that God is going to continue to allow us to have the freedom to ignore that command? What position do we need to be in tonight to where we feel the pressure enough that we'll obey God? Come on, do we need to be swallowed by a great fish to understand that God has a message for us to carry tonight? Do we need to be put in a precarious position in our physical bodies and in the situations of our life? Do we need to lose everything before we understand that we have all in Christ? We have all that we need in Christ? I mean, the greatest sin of the church of today is complacency, is it not? We are so at rest and comfort and staying home and doing what we like to do, doing what we enjoy to do, and we just don't have enough time to obey God, to do what God says, to put ourselves underneath His authority. Oh, we love to talk about God. We love to talk about studying even His Word. Some are of, uh, of so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. They take, they take all the truths of God's uh, Word and they spiritualize them in such a way that it never applies. I don't have to do. I don't have to obey. It'll get done without me, they say. Well, can I say to you tonight, someone told you about the gospel, did they not? Someone carried the message to you. Aren't you glad that they didn't have the same attitude? Aren't you glad that they didn't feel it unimportant to tell you? Aren't you glad that on that week that you attended the service, the pastor didn't feel like uh, not preaching the gospel message that day? You know, sometimes uh, we tire of well-doing, don't we? But God commands us, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we what? If we faint not. You know, maybe you fainted, maybe you are fainting, but can I encourage you tonight, 
we got to stop making excuses and obey the voice of God. Obey the voice of God. Are we at a lack for God's voice tonight? We have it. We have his voice. We, we have his word. We have his message. So what's our excuse tonight? Are we going to all together begin to make excuse about why we can't? You say, are you trying to guilt trip? I'm not trying to guilt trip you tonight. I'm just trying to tell you tonight, if you're not obeying God, you're not going to be blessed of God. Isn't it amazing that the prosperity crowd promises blessing for disobedience? Do what you want to do and God will bless you. We'll find that in Scripture, friend. There's nothing in Scripture that says, do what you want to do and God will bless you. But there are boatloads of Scripture of obeying God and you'll be blessed. And um, if you're obeying God in some areas and disobeying God in others, can I say that it's not right? That it's sinful? Is He not supposed to be Lord of all? Yeah, does, I mean, sometimes isn't it amazing how we do that? We say, well... You know, you see, I don't have to be a soul owner because I give to missions. Well, God bless you for giving to missions, but that does not negate your personal responsibility to share the gospel with people. God bless you for obeying God in the area of giving. God bless you for obeying God in the, in the area of service. God bless you for obey, obeying God in, in one area, but don't think that you can obey God in one area ignore Him in other areas. Uh, as a parent, would you accept that in the life of your children? They obey you in one area, and that's good enough. They don't have to obey you in any other. Come on, do we not even understand that, that on a human level? And we look to a, a wonderful God who saved us and loved us and called us and given us a calling. Listen, he's given us a calling. How valuable is this, the human soul? How valuable is it? Well, Jesus taught us that, didn't he? He said... He said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall he give in exchange for his own soul? I wonder tonight, what are we giving in exchange as Christians for God's word, for what God says? Remember tonight, if you are trying to quiet God's voice, you don't want to hear God's challenge, you don't want to hear what God says. Listen, uh, the answer to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 16 is chapter 3 and verse number 5. The question is, and who is sufficient for these things? In chapter 3 and verse number 5, the answer is our sufficiency is of God. Our, our sufficiency is of God. Can we agree tonight that God is constant? He is constant. Can we agree tonight that He is speaking? Conversation is happening. He is speaking. Aren't you glad? Listen, there was a day where there was no open word from the Lord. There was a day, there was hundreds of years, hundreds of years where there was no open word from the Lord. And we have a closed Bible tonight. We can, all we need to do to get a word from the Lord is just open up His word. We take that for granted all the time. The conversation. Your time with God is just a conversation. God talks to you through His Word. You talk to Him in prayer. It's just a conversation. Listen, the people who we don't talk to are the people we don't care about. The people who we don't listen to are the people we don't care about. We choose who we want to give our ear to. We choose who we want to talk to. It's the truth. The challenge. The challenge. The calling hasn't changed. It's the same calling. 
Arise, go to the city. Go to that city, that great city, Nineveh, and cry against it. Speak the words that I've called you to speak. It's a great challenge, isn't it? Let me ask you tonight. You think the Great Commission is a great challenge? It's a great challenge. Are we not overwhelmed with that? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you won't walk across the street, you won't go into all the world. If you won't go to your neighbor, you won't go to Africa. If, if, if you won't go to your neighborhood, if you won't go to this area, we, we won't go somewhere else. It's amazing to me. Sometimes, uh, listen, I'm teaching a Bible college on Tuesday. I made this statement to the Bible college students. If you're a missions major and you're not actively seeking, pursuing to win people to Christ here in America, you will be, you will be a terrible missionary. If you, if you think that changing geographic location is going to change you, you got it all wrong. Sometimes you think, well, I'm going to go to another country and become another person. You'll be the same person in a different place. God wants to change who we are tonight. I wonder, will we allow his word to change us? The challenge is there. God's given the challenge. If we're the people of God, we'll hear the voice of God. We'll hear the calling of God. We'll obey him. We'll obey him. I want the blessing of obedience. How about you? The blessing. I want God's blessing of my life. If I want God's blessing, I'd have to obey Him. So will you. We've got that challenge tonight. It's greater than us. So what do we need? We need to ask God to help us with it. God, it's your message. God, what do you want us to do? God, how would you have us to accomplish this? Now, the early church, what did they do? They met together in one place. They were of one accord, and they prayed. What did they pray for? God opened a door of utterance. God, give us opportunity. God, give us opportunity to spread the gospel. God, give us opportunity. You know, I wonder, instead of making excuses about why your boss won't listen to you about the gospel, maybe tonight what you need to begin to do is put him on your prayer list and say, God, give me opportunity to speak to him about the gospel. And boldness when you give me the opportunity. We're afraid to pray that, though, because then we're obligated to follow through. I wonder, are you praying Are you praying for God to give you opportunity? And before you pray for extra opportunities, take every opportunity he has already given you. If we're missing the opportunities he is giving us, why should he give us more? If we're being poor stewards of the open doors that are before us, if we're so afraid that we will not walk through them, why would he give us any more tonight? Come on, if you're disobeying God in the area of your stewardship, why would God give you any more money? If you're disobeying God in the area of wherever you're like, why would God give you more to disobey him with? And can I submit this to you tonight? Why would God, Christians, why would God give us more people in our church? Why would God give us more people if we're not committed to teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded them? If we're not committed to discipleship, if we're not committed to being who we should be as disciples of Jesus Christ and also committing to discipling others. Is there not a step of faith that we all have tonight? We all have a step, don't we? If you're not saved, you need to get saved. It's your only step. There is no other step. If you're saved and you have been baptized, you need to follow him in baptism. If you're saved in baptism, you have not yet joined at a local New Testament church. Uh, the next step is to join with a local New Testament church. It's God's plan. It's God's command. You won't be blessed until you do it. 
If, if you're saved, baptized, and you're a member of the local New Testament church, you need to learn the Word of God. You need to be discipled. And if you've been discipled, here's the thing. You need to step out and start discipling someone else. It's God's plan. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.